For the last year or so, you've been hearing me talk about Active Pass, our annual membership here at Vela News that includes, oh, today's planned coaching, entry to Royal Massif events, Velo Press books, exclusive industry deals, and so much more. Hey, I have some big news today. We have changed the name of the membership to Outside Plus, and we've packed a ton of new cool stuff into the overall bundle. Uh, first off, we're not taking any of the old perks away from the Active Pass bundle, but we are adding more. Uh, like what? Well, you get a one-year print subscription to Outside Magazine. You also get a premium account with Gaia GPS, the GPS app that allows you to explore detailed maps of your favorite riding or hiking destinations even when you're offline. Never get lost again, folks. Even if you don't have cell service, you can find out where you're going with Gaia GPS. You get a photo package from Finisher Picks, the event photography company that's at all the Roll Massif events and many other events out there. You also get access to a new Roll Massif event. That's right, the Enchanted Circle Sportive, August 28th in Red River, New Mexico. That event is free to Outside Plus members, and you also get 25% off to all the other Roll Massif events. What else is new? Online yoga courses from Yoga Journal, skiing and backpacking video tutorials, and meal plans and recipes from clean eating and better nutrition. All that goes into the bundle that already included today's plan coaching, Velo Press books, magazine subscriptions, industry deals. There's a lot in there and the price has stayed the same. That's right, $99 for a 12 month membership to Outside Plus. There's a lot to learn there. I suggest you all check out velonews.com forward slash Outside Plus and you can read up about all the perks included in our new membership. Okay, let's get on with today's podcast. Uh, welcome back to the Vel News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a Tuesday morning here at the home offices. Tuesday, but feels like Monday because of Memorial Day. We had Monday off. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to adjust to the racing schedule here uh, in the Vela News universe. And by racing schedule, I do mean racing schedule because I don't know about you folks, but this past weekend, I attended a bike race and I raced my own bike that's right, I was down in Durango for the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic, raced a bike for the first time in like five years or so, suffered, felt pain, struggled, had a great time, and it felt great to be back at a bike race with people, um, you know, people wearing masks, some weren't, vaccinated, outdoors, having a good time at a bike race. It was one of those instances that made me feel like the world is starting to get back uh, to normal. But it, we're not going to talk about my bike racing today. We're going to talk all about the big bike race that's coming up this coming weekend, which is Unbound Gravel. That's right. The Super Bowl of gravel racing is coming up, and we're going to have some really thorough coverage on VeloNews.com all week uh, through the weekend and afterwards at uh, Unbound because we have a big crew, including myself, We'll be going out there to cover the, cover the race. And second half of the show, we have an interview with Christy Moan of Unbound Gravel and Lifetime Fitness. She is the chief gravel officer. She's the person who sits very high up in the Unbound Gravel world, and she's telling us all about what it's like to be on the ground there, some of the rules they have for COVID and some of the safety protocols, and just what she's expecting to see this year. But before we get to Christy, we are going to talk with our in-house gravel aficionados. We have Betsy Welch and we have Ben Delaney on the line. And um, 
You two, before we get to talking all about Unbound, uh, please indulge me for a moment. And um, you both have been to bike races since COVID hit. And, and please just indulge me in my feeling of stoke and happiness of what it was like to attend a bike race in person. Betsy Welch, do you have any feelings or emotions that you can share of what it's like to participate in a bike race uh, right now? Did you ask me about stoke? It's that's the word stoke. You know, bike races are always fun and exciting and full of stoke, but you can like there's a different edge to it this year, um, clearly. And I think people are very relieved to be back and grateful. And um, you know, it's it feels like it's been a long time, but at the same time, it feels like just yesterday that we were all doing this. So I think that's kind of like the best outcome we could we could ask for here. Um, I've done a couple things. I mean, I even raced late last year um, in September, October, and it was definitely still sort of like edgy then. Um, very much, we'll do whatever we you ask us to do. We will follow the rules. We won't hang out. We'll leave right away, and we won't even look at each other. Um, but in a couple weeks ago in May, Ben and I went out to Wild Horse Gravel, um, one of the Roll Massif events, and it was markedly different. It was sort of like, we're all here, we all are vaccinated, and we are ready to um, sort of resume normalcy. Yeah, I think that the CDC thing about, you know, being outdoors if you're vaccinated and even indoors if you're vaccinated, especially the outdoor thing kind of um, took people's fear away a bit so that, you know, whether you're at a bike race or not to barbecue or whatever, you just aren't, you're not like, you don't have that sixth sense thing that we used to have of like, oh, you're standing too close to me. Please, please get away. Uh, ben Delaney, do you have any uh, perspective to share about your own um, experiences at your own bike races and bike events in the last few weeks? Yeah, like Betsy said, Wild Horse Graveler for, for Roll Massif was a wonderful welcome back to the community of bike racing. And you know, so much of what we do is interactive, right? That's how bike racing works. It's not just an exercise competition out doing individual time trials. Like the, that's, you know, keying off each other, drafting each other, heckling each other maybe saying a few terse words to each other. That's, that's part of the whole deal. So uh, having the CDC uh, give us, give the country the go ahead just a few days before that was a, was a huge uh, relief. And, and yeah, it was a hoot being out there getting after it again. And there, there's been some smaller events that we've done, like, you know, local criteriums where it's, it's done in waves and it's limited to like fields of two and you've got to wear a mask until it starts. And it, 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 it sometimes felt like more trouble than it's worth. I'm glad knock on wood that we are over that hump, at least in the U S. So I think there'll be a similar feeling at unbound gravel where for many people, this will be the first big event they've done in more than a year. And it's funny to go straight from, you know, not having, uh, any large gravel events to just write to the, to the biggest one of all. We certainly had a, you know, the, what we were calling gravels opening weekend recently with, uh, gravel locos and the rule of three and a, and a hopper out on the West coast. Um, but we're really, we're just jumping straight to the big one. So a lot of anticipation for, for who's going to do what and when, how it's all going to shake out. Yeah, it's going to be a, a big a big event, a big coming back party at Unbound Gravel. It Just the way that the schedule shook out, you know, the um, land, or not the land run, the uh, Mid-South Gravel was called off due to COVID, but that which made Unbound like the big season opener. So the Super Bowl is effectively like the second race of the season. And, you know, it's going to be a bit different. I think that when we, when I talked with the 
crew from Unbound back in January and February. They were looking at the timeline of vaccination rollout and stuff and saying, hey, you know, we feel like we're in the clear with holding our event, but we're probably going to have, you know, smaller field size and wave starts and social distancing at feed zones. And it's going to be it's going to be a different kind of weird and wacky event. But it sounds like with the COVID situation in that area of Kansas and with the fact that, you know, uh, the vaccine rollout has beat some of the timelines that they had, they're going to have the same mass start they've always have. It will be somewhat smaller. Um, it sounds like the field size is going to be about 1,000 for the 200, and that depends on how many people actually show up. Um, they're doing some of the kids' races and some of the shorter races on Friday instead of Saturday to limit what that Saturday looks like. But otherwise, it sounds like it's going to be business as normal. And from the people we've been talking to in the elite field, it sounds like it's back to business as normal as, you know, this is the big gravel race that everyone's been training for and everyone wants to win. And, you know, sponsorship is up for stake and glory is up for stake. And there's a bunch of strong riders there. Um, we're going to get to some of the wider topics around that, but let's talk about who some of the riders, uh, the big strong riders in the elite field uh, who are going to be there this weekend. Betsy, I know you've been covering both the men's field and the women's field. Let's start off with the women. You know, who are, what's what's the story of the women's field this year and who are the athletes that you are going to be watching? Um, as always, I'm very excited about the women's race. Um, and this year, I don't know. I, I just think that the field is is so stacked and also so diverse. And I I'm feeling a surprise is what I'm feeling. Um, there's a lot of women who are maybe not household names yet, but who are sort of like making waves in their own um, communities. Um, it's not to discount the likes of Amity and Allie and Kai and, you know, sort of these like gravel stalwarts that we know. Um but, you know, there was a big race or not a big race, but a couple of big races last weekend. Um, and some of the women who were at those races will also be in Kansas um, next weekend. So, for example, we've got like from here in Colorado, Whitney Allison, um, kind of a former domestic road pro. Um, she won the desert gravel race in Fruta this weekend. I think she's one to watch. Um, Jess Sarah, same thing. She is another um, sort of dominant roadie turned gravelista. And um, she finished second in Texas at Gravel Locos. A um, couple Californian women to watch out for who are, you know, winning these Grasshopper Adventure Series races and um, collecting all the QOMs in, I don't know, Santa Monica. Um, <laughs> talking about one woman in particular, Isabel King um, and Mariah Wilson from Northern California. I think those are women to watch. And then I'm really psyched about um, a couple of the girls from 2024. Um, those that team has like done a really cool pivot to gravel, and they've been training a lot off road throughout the winter. Um, Shayna Paulus in particular is one to watch. Um, and then there's some killer mountain bikers up in the mix. Um, Casey Armstrong, as always, um, Kathy Pruitt. Um, who else? Cyclocrossers, Rebecca Farringer. Um, there's just, there's almost, I mean, I could go on and on, but um, I just think it's going to, I don't know. I have a feeling that it's, people are going to be very strong. And like always, Unbound isn't just about um, 
you know, like the fittest or the most experienced, there's some luck in like what happens on the day. So I think we have to cast like a really wide net. And there's a lot of women that that fall into that net this year. Yeah, I think that the success of Amity Rockwell two years ago at 2019 is an interesting test case for what it means to be in this women's elite race, which is that, you know, hey, just because you've won this race before, doesn't mean you're going to to win. And, you know, just because we've never heard of you before doesn't mean you're not strong enough to win. Uh, it sounds like, you know, some of the stories you've been covering around the women's field is, is like you said, you know, pro women's road teams pivoting to gravel. I know that uh, TIBCO Silicon Valley Bank, which is still very much a UCI, you know, pro women's team is also doing a lot of gravel and are sending some women to this race as well. But when I when I hear that, I get really excited but you would know better than anyone, Betsy, because you have done this event that like, boy, there's a big difference between a pro road race and a 200 mile gravel race. And while we can look at some of these women and say, ah, oh, well, they're the, the favorite because they're a really strong road racer, they have a big engine or whatever. It's like, man, all bets are off. It seems like when you go from mile 150 to 200 in terms of how your body is going to react to this type of effort. Totally. And I mean, you hear it over and over again from whoever and whatever their background is, it's like, that was the hardest day on the bike in my life. You know, it, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. Um, this race sort of like, it defies <laughs> um, what athletes have done um, in the past. So Ben, now, uh, if you were to uh, take your daughter's college savings fund out of the bank and go online to some overseas uh, betting site that had unbound gravel odds for the men's race. I mean, who are you putting, who are you betting her future on at this point? We have a stacked men's field, but you know, the, the test right now is on you. Who are you going to be- bet your daughter's college fund on to win? Oh, I'm sorry, Stella. I mean, one of the, one of the beautiful things about this event, as you guys have mentioned, is it's so wide open and strength is part of it. Endurance is part of it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, your previous track record at similar events is part of it, but dumb luck and the great unknown are probably the largest factors. Um, not just for how competitors are, are seeing each other, but how they're seeing themselves. You know, a lot of these top racers coming in have never done this before. And I think that that's part of what makes it so entertaining to, to follow. Um, to, to answer your question feebly with many caveats, um, uh, I think it's going to be a, a shakedown of former world tour, current world tour and big bad Colin Strickland. So we've got, um, Lawrence Tindam who just smashed like Hulk, uh, in Texas, um, at the ripe old age of 40, um, ahead of names like Colin and Pete and Ted, et cetera, who are hoping to do well in Kansas. So he's got to be a five-star favorite, right? Um, on the other end of the the world tour spectrum, we've got Quinn Simmons, who's what, 20 years old now? Um, also a rather large engine um, and motivated. Uh, and then a few folks in between. So I, I think, yes, 206 miles of nasty sharp gravel is not a European road race, um, but you still got to pedal that whole thing. <laughs> and some of these women and men with a lot of experience training at high volume and high intensity and the fact that they've got the physiological advantage to be professionals in the first place, that's a clear advantage. Yeah, you have some gravel heroes like 
uh, Colin Strickland, Ted King, um, Pete Stetna, and uh, your man Payson. And then the World Tour guys where we have both Kiel Reinen and uh, Quinn Simmons, Matteo Jorgensen after doing the Giro d'Italia is going to be there. I think that's really interesting. I'm with you. I, I think I would put my money on Quinn Simmons, just following him on Instagram, some of the miles he's been racking up in intensities uh, and just how strong he has looked, I think gives him an advantage. But, you know, don't discount the, you know, the strategy involved in winning this race of, you know, not wanting to burn your matches too early, of racing conservatively over 200 miles. I mean, you talk to so many of these guys of what it's like to race to win over the last 50 miles of this race. And it's just like, no one really has a top end speed. You just have to sort of keep the pedals going and keep effort into the pedals. But if you if you push it too hard too early, you know, you're you're just not going to get there. I remember talking to Colin about it last year, and he's just like, it was like this slow speed. It was like the Al Cowlings, O.J. Simpson, white Bronco chase uh, across L.A., where it's like the speed's never getting that high, but the effort is there, and, you know, the, the gaps are really hard to close. And so some other names I, I want to throw in there. Adam Roberge, Canadian TT guy. He could be he could be someone to do something. We have a number of domestic road racers. Eddie Anderson, who is on um, Alpice and Phoenix, he's going to be there too, as is Robin Carpenter. And so, whenever we have these new road racers come into the mix, you just don't know. I mean, they're fit, they're fast, they can throw down a lot of power, but they're they're not tested at this distance, and so they could they're, that puts them at a disadvantage. But physiologically. You know, they're obviously strong. A few, a few other names to throw in there would be, you know, like Ian Boswell, another former World Tour guy. Christian Meyer, another retiree still getting after it. Thomas Decker. Does this name ring any bells to folks? Oh, yeah. Uh, good, good, bad, and otherwise. Uh, interesting in the mix. And uh, Greg Daniel, former U.S. road national champion. Tendam told me that Decker, apparently, he was the one who convinced him to do this. And it was going to be sort of a, a way to get fit again, you know, lose some weight and like get, you know, make sure your skinny Euro jeans fit again. But he started training and got really into it and got super motivated. So it'll be interesting to see how Eric Decker goes there. Uh, before we move off the pro race or Thomas Decker, I have a, I have a, an important gravel controversy story to ask you about to see where you fall here on the ethics. And that, of course, is about the ever-present weight or race debate. We see this in road cycling, which is like, hey, you know, yellow jersey crashes, you wait for him. And in gravel, it's a little different. Um, the weight or race debate that I've seen pop up online in the last couple of days deals with etiquette around feed zones. So apparently this is what happened in the uh, finale of Gravel Locos, Lawrence Tendam told me, which is that, okay, the, the front group gets whittled down to like eight or nine guys and they're going really hard, but hey, there's one feed zone to go and there's a truce called and everyone kind of agrees, hey, we're going to stop at this feed zone um, and nine out of the 10 guys or whatever stopped and one guy <laughs> went on ahead and motored and motored and motored and everyone else stopped and refueled and then got going. And that move forced the dynamic that ended up leading to what happened with Tendam winning. And there was this feeling of like, hey, you know, these races are important to win and we're all racing to win, but there's sort of this unofficial brotherhood and sisterhood of the strategy and the tactics, which is, you know, call truce for a feed zone. Uh, don't go off and attack, you know? Um, First of all, Betsy Welch, what do you think of the unwritten, unofficial rules of gravel as they pertain to the way to race debate? Where do you fall on this? Well, I was going to just say, 
Ben, where do you fall in this? Ben's more likely to be in that group where this is an issue, and I am not. Well, I, th- I think it's. I think these arguments are super fun, <laughs> and there's there's a bunch of them, and there's there's varying gradations, striations to like how much does it really matter, and and some of like where the truth comes from, just like in real life, is its mutual interest, right? Everybody needs to stop. So that's why we're stopping. That's why like a breakaway riders will work together, right? It's not because you're, it's, it's mutual self-interest. So I don't think that, I think it's fine for, I don't even know who this person was who went off the front, but if, if that was his or her decision to just hammer ahead without hydration, have at it. You've got now a bunch of angry, very fit people chasing in mass behind you. <laughs> and as from a spectator standpoint, sure. If, if you want to take the flyer, have at it. Um, I think where it gets tricky is when there's different different rules or different things applied depending on where you are. You know, so sometimes like at Belgian Waffle Ride Cedar City, for instance, the the very front group was able to take feeds out of uh, a moto going alongside, and that fundamentally changes the dynamic versus pulling over, hopping off your bike, standing in a COVID safe line to refill your bottle and getting going again. Um, not just the, you know, the valuable few seconds that it costs to stop, but just being out of the draft that can totally change the dynamic. So I think that's, that's the trickier wickets, the stickier wicket for promoters is wanting to uh, engage in making it a, a pro roadie feeling type events. Um, and making sure those riders are having a good experience uh, without skewing the results. And then obviously for, for most of the, the riders at these events, whether it's Unbound or BWR or your local thing, I mean, we the people make up the, the bulk of the, the, um, the start list, right? Like there's, there's a huge amount of big names at Unbound, but there are thousands upon thousands of others who are not there to win. They're there to get through the day and have a fun time and try to you know, perhaps improve upon their, you know, their, their last time out. So yeah, I, I, to, to answer your question, yeah, game on, like have at it, like make, make and break deals on the road. What do you guys think? I, I'm with you in that, in that I love this debate and I could talk about it endlessly. And I've had some conversations uh, with gravel folks about this in, in the days afterwards. And here's some of the perspective that filtered out. One of them was like, you know, what we're trying to build here in the gravel scene is something that is unique and something that's different and something that actually sort of bucks the trends, which sounds strange to say of a hundred years of like road bike racing history, which is, Hey, you know, over the last hundred years of road bike history, we know that the most cutthroat rider, the most like stab you in the back rider, the most competitive rider is going to win. You know, you have to be strong, but you also have to be willing to like stab your breakaway companion in the heart at the last minute and like sit on and sit on and win or a attack at the feed zone or do all these things because winning is the only thing that matters. And some of these gravel folks that I've talked to have said, you know, what we're trying, cognizant of that, been in those road races, been in races like that, that's fine. But what we're trying to do here in gravel is actually something different, which is an experience where, yeah, it's important who wins, but also the experience, the adventure, the thrill of camaraderie, the joy of pushing yourself to your ultimate maximum is actually more important than like, you know, attacking in the feed zone or sitting on it and not doing any work and then winning at the last moment, winning in like a traditional road racing fashion, because, you know, there's a feeling that in the front group at these big long races at the moment, people are sharing the work and are working together. And it's sort of a, you know, the strongest one is going to win. 
yeah, there's luck involved and there's some strategy and tactics involved, but really it's sort of this gentlemanly race of, you know, let's let's shoulder the work together and do it. And and then the hope is that that attitude at the front of the race is going to get passed back into the second group and the fourth group and the big field and the whatever. And the next thing you know, you have this race where the ethos is about the shared spirit of adventure, competition and camaraderie and not just like sitting on and sprinting at the last minute. And so it's not a road race. But then there's other people who have said, hey, that's good and great. But you know what? We're in this new era of gravel where sponsorship is up for grabs. Media attention is up for grabs. You can make a livelihood being an elite gravel racer and winning big events. And your palmares and your results speak for what they are. So, you know, there's no way to avoid the road racification coming into this race. I think it's really interesting right now because I actually think some of the decisions that get made around this very topic right now could be passed on in the years to come with gravel racing. Well, I, I just think it bears mentioning too that the women's race is gonna play out differently. And a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about, it's not gonna apply to the top women finishers. And um, I think that's gonna be one of the coolest things about having this live broadcast is we're gonna see how you know, the women's race ends because we know that the the top women don't stay in the front men's group for the whole race. We know that. Um, usually top women finish like an hour and a half um, behind the men. And while the women stay oftentimes in those front groups for a lot of it, they, they aren't there the whole time. And I think to the dynamics of women's racing are different. Well, I think like the, the polemical with the women's racing, as far as like what the rule should be, or there shouldn't be a rule around it is having a, a team or domestiques, for female racers because in some ways the strategy for the top women is to stay in the front group as long as possible because having a draft over hours and hours and hours of often very windy riding is a huge benefit um and on one hand if it if no one knew each other any top female rider could go with whatever group they can hang with right but then you get relationships mixed in and it's friends or buddies or husbands or boyfriends and and that adds a a different element and, and one again i think as a as a spectator i find to be fascinating but is certainly the an area where some have voiced concern like well maybe we should draw rules around that or i mean put this question to both of you should women race separately i mean unbound gravel there is no pro women's field there's no pro men's field right everyone's just all in together should would it be more fair would it be better would it be more gravel to have a separate women's race uh, again i can only speak from a spectator's perspective as a spectator and a journalist covering the race i like the way it is now with everyone starting at the same time and i think it speaks to you know this whole idea of the the ethos of the race being pa passed down throughout the entire field but you know if if there are voices out there who feel very strongly that it should be a standalone women's field and and they're the ones who are going to be earning money and going to be you know battling for the win then i would be happy as a spect as a person who has absolutely no power in deciding what happened to, to change my perspective on it. But again, I think this is all fascinating because there's a chance that 20 years from now, if gravel continues its upward trajectory and becomes more and more the dominant form of American bike racing, the rules and the decisions that get made now um, are the ones, you know, whether they're official or unofficial ones, are the ones that are going to carry the sport forward. Uh, Betsy, 
you mentioned it there, and this is the next talking point we need to get onto. But the big, big news around this year's Unbound Gravel is that it's going to be broadcast. That's right, a 10-hour bike race for the fastest, much longer for the slowest, is going to be broadcast online by Flow Sports. Betsy, you've been all over this story. What can you tell us about um, some of the details. This is something that people have been talking about trying to do this for a long time, but there's technological challenges of like trying to beam footage back from the middle of nowhere, Kansas. There's scheduling problems with how do you make compelling TV out of a 10 hour race? What can you tell us about how they're going to go about doing this thing? So this was in the works for last year, actually. Um, and obviously there was no race last year. So Lifetime and the event is super psyched that this will be a two-year um, deal with Flow Sports for this year and next year. Um, it's obviously it would be really boring to um, watch people ride gravel for 10 hours. Um, so the plan is that the coverage will start kind of midday Saturday. Um, and that'll be around when the 100 milers are coming in, which by the way, there's some excitement around that race too, um, FYI. So don't discount the only hundred mile, um, unbound gravel. Um, that'll be fiercely competitive as well. But anyway, um, the coverage will start around noon and, um, take in those finishers. And then the plan is to sort of have, um, you know, people on the ground in Emporia visiting the expo, um, interviewing athletes, um, interviewing people within the organization and just sort of giving like a, a full day's experience um, on the ground at the race. Um, in terms of the 200 mile coverage, the um, event has a couple like four by four vehicles that they will send out on course to cover like the last 20 miles or so. Um, and they're going to do that for both the men's and the women's race, because as we mentioned, it'll probably well, it will be split by then. Um, and so, yeah, that's like seven hours of coverage they're planning on that um, you'll be able to watch if you subscribe to Flow Sports. Or if you are in Emporia, there's going to be a couple watch parties at um, bars and restaurants around town. So, Ben, I got a question for you, which is, let's say it's a typical Saturday. You got your dad duties. You have some backyard stuff to work on, maybe a bike ride planned, you know. Are you willing to like, are you going to like shut that all down and just like sit in front of your computer for seven hours to watch the gravel race on TV? I mean, how would you go, how would you go about watching this thing if you were like a normal uh, citizen viewer? Well, I think this time being the first year, I would be curious and I would check in periodically. I think the GCN Plus app does a tremendous job with its race coverage and that you can watch, not of Unbound, but of Euro road events. You can watch races in their entirety or the highlights or their app gives you handy little notifications, at least during the Giro of like, hey, just to update here. The break's gone. It's got 10 minutes. You can go back to your nap. That's that's some user friendly uh, service that I appreciated. So as it's interesting, you know, like the I, I don't want to watch anyone pedal for 12 hours. I don't even want to watch myself do that for 12 hours. Um, so it'll be just yeah, be curious to see how they how they put it all together. But a highlight show, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I will. I'll be the first one to raise my hand here and be like, I've watched the entire Iron Man 
broadcast before. Like I've done that. I've like sat and just like watched all eight hours of like these men and women out there like swimming and biking and running. And then, you know, I, I assume it'll be something similar to that where, you know, you have the like the race going on in the lower right handed corner of the screen. But really, they're interviewing some guys, some sponsor talking about the thing or there's interviewing some dignitary or whatever. Who knows? Maybe Felon News will make its way on the telecast. We'll see. But um, I'm really interested to see how they pull this off because because. Again, you know, if they nail this thing and if the telecast goes well and if they get a good model for how to televise a gravel bike race and make it in- engaging and uh, interesting, eh, this thing could be a pretty valuable media property when you're talking about that much airtime for programming and that many people who want to see. I mean, I remember a few years back, it was like there's the cell service out there in the Flint Hills is so bad and the way to get information back from this race was so rudimentary that it was like the race finished and Brad, our photographer, was at the finish line and he just handed his cell phone to Colin, who talked to me as I was like in my house and I punched up something on Twitter. And that was like the first, he's like, Colin has won <laughs> Unbound Gravel. And to think that in two short years, we've gone from, you know, someone handing a phone to someone with a Twitter account and that's the way the information is getting out there to now it will be live broadcast. My assumption is they'll be using bonded cellular signal to be able to do this. That speaks to just the rapid growth of this thing. And I feel like that speaks to another uh, another element here, which is that Unbound is continuing to tep- take steps forward, even though it had a year off, it went through a name change, it went through a messy separation with its co-founder. And, you know, there were some real questions out there about whether or not people were going to be like th- this race that's the unofficial Super Bowl of gravel racing had sort of gone through so much turmoil that, you know, the, the, the magic sauce had been weakened. I can tell you that from, you know, our own, web metrics from the stories that we publish around Unbound Gravel. People are still very much interested in what's going on. And again, stay tuned to VeloNews.com because we're going to cover this thing from soup to nuts, including we're going to have some content coming up from inside the race because Ben is racing Unbound. We buried the lead. Ben's doing the full 200-mile big boss. Um, (laughs) Moron. You should see his face right now. He's like frowny face. Yeah, he does not look very pleased. It's a terrible idea. I mean, let's get this straight. Like 200 miles in the best circumstances. Like, have you done a 200 mile road ride? I have not. It's like, why would you do such a thing? It's a fundamentally bad idea. Well, especially since this is the second time of you doing it. And I was there at the no, finish line. I'm slow learner. The first time you did it. And you were, you know, look, Ben had a great time his first time, but he was mighty tired and and mighty had that feeling of like, yeah, I don't need to do that one again. It's, just, it's the type of tired. I was so tired. I couldn't go to sleep that night. You know, it's like doing a, you know, like a twilight crit or something where you're laying there in bed. Like I should go to sleep now. If I go to sleep now, I'll get six hours of sleep and your heart's like, because your body or at least my old body, it was just worked from the effort. So, but yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it and all the adventures that come and, and, you know, meeting, meeting new folks out there and you know i'm obviously not racing for anything but you know you're talking about making truces coming into feed stations yeah, you end out there long enough you come together with a group of people of different ages different genders that's that's part of the fun i remember like the last year i did it uh ended up riding with amy charity and anna grace christensen at the end who rode away from me at the very end but and that's yeah just that's that's not an experience you get in any road race uh, so that's, you know, to answer my own question earlier of like, should the 
things be split up. I say, heck no. I think it should all stay together. That's that's part of the the secret sauce. Ben, what's your setup? Take us through your gear setup. What you what are you rolling? Defeat the the kind folks at Defeat North Carolina handmade socks for their brand and others just sent me the world's fastest socks. So that I'm counting on that doing something magical. Um, I've got a Cervelo Aspero Five from Canada on loan. Um, an aero gravel bike is one of the things that many of us scoffed at. One thing I scoffed at in 2018 was my buddy Chris running a, an aero bar, singular, not aero bars, but a singular aero bar dubbed the Narwhal. And I gave him endless grief about that until we found ourselves riding in the wind for hour upon hour upon hour. And I was wishing I had something similar. So even, even going at my slow old man speeds, I do think aero still matters. Um, so I'll probably have an aero helmet on and, uh, I got some Envy wheels. I've got some brand new Secret Scooby tires that'll be released out there. That's always the the big um, sh- look each other up and down question ahead of the right. Hey, what, what are you running, man? What, what are you running? What are you running? So, so some forty mil brand new to be announced tires that hopefully will hold because that 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 can change the whole day whether you're uh, front of the pack or back of the pack or or like me somewhere in the middle. So fingers crossed for. Lucky rubber. It's funny. I remember it seems like so long ago that the aero bar debate was like the, the, the big gravel debate. Now I feel like aero bar, you know, people are just like, yeah, like it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> Do what you want. Yeah. Um, Betsy, you have done this race a few times. Um what advice do you have for Ben Delaney out there? He has done it too, but as our sage gravel in-house expert, what what's, <laughs> but Ben's, he's a smart yeah, one. what type of advice do you have from a psychological, emotional, and mental level to help Ben get to the finish line without laugh crying the last uh, four hours of effort? Funny thing about that question is like Ben and I are kind of the total opposite when it comes to like gear and tech and stuff. Like it's this ongoing joke between us, like, I'm the sole writer. Like I don't use a computer. I don't know what else, Ben. Um, I like to camp, sleep in ditches, as he likes to call it, um, and listen to him on about arrow everything. And I'm just like, hey, well, how big's your handlebar bag? Um, but my advice to Ben, wow, um, this is a new one. <laughs> um, Ben, just have fun out there, you know, just like really take it all in. And like you said, make friends, um, you know, go pee, like don't hold it. It's just a bike race. Uh, one of our friends, friends of the brand, Neil Shirley has uh, like Betsy done a lot of gravel racing and has often been at the, the front end. And it, he has an interesting perspective that some of his favorite races have been when things have gone wrong early on to the point where he had to do a reset and, and heaven forbid, just enjoy the day went from being like, okay, stay in the front group, stay hydrated. Don't do anything dumb. Stay fresh, save it for the end to like, Oh, I'm completely out of contention. And now I get to ride my bike all day long with other crazy people who like to ride their bike all day long. And you're in this, this strange festival, like almost burning man kind of environment out in the middle of Kansas that, uh, yeah, you end up having some some pretty cool experiences. So I still love the fact that Betsy's big piece of advice is go pee, go pee, Ben. <laughs> well, Maybe I'll, I'll I'll take that to the handlebars. It's like the aid station thing. Like I I still don't understand how these fast people like don't seem to pee in these races. Or I don't know. One time I tried to sort of like exert my 
I don't know, sort of any like authority I might have. And I was like with a group and I was like, hey, does anyone have to pee? Everyone just sort of like looked at me like I was alien. And so I don't know, man, you can cause some serious damage if you don't pee out there. Yeah, but that's because they're all they're all using the Uraton 5000, the new gravel catheter system. It's carbon fiber and aerodynamic and uh, holds up uh, under the vibrations. You, you don't have that one? I think we did a we did a full review of that on Velo News. Hydration. Let's talk about the hydration going in. We'll leave the, the going out part for for a later time. But the, the, getting water enough water in my very limited experience of doing it once was was a challenge. So that you know this year there are two official aid stops where you can meet with your crew. Everybody has to have a crew, a buddy, of a spouse, a, or you can uh, hire folks through the event, and that's where you peel in NASCAR style and take on fresh supplies. So there's two of those. Uh, and then there's one neutral aid station, uh, like my one, uh, 126 or something, I want to say. Um, so th- basically three three spots over the course of a day that will, for the very, very fastest people, be at least 10 hours. Point like you could be out there all day and you've got three official stops for water. And uh, I don't know what other people are doing, but I've been nervously looking at the forecast where it's like, you know, hot in 80s. Uh, high humidity. Um, so I was one of the things that I love about this event was how people come out of the woodwork, not race staff, not official volunteers, but locals uh, would be stationed at just random corners in the middle of seemingly nowhere with stacks and stacks of cold water bottles bought at like Walmart or grocery store, or whatever, just handing them out to poor suffering randoms like myself. And God bless those folks that made a huge difference and both physiologically but just psychologically too just having strangers help you out i think that's uh, a neat part of the event Hmm. potential uh business opportunity there for entrepreneurs to buy lemonade stands yeah lemonade stands along the unbound gravel course and uh, you know i don't do they take square i mean do you just like you charge later you paypal you or something like that just pay forward bro exactly well again it's unbound gravel betsy and ben i appreciate your perspective um and we're going to be covering this event from all the different angles gear and tech participation uh, hydration, who won, who didn't win, the culture, the soul of gravel, everything uh, you can find on VeloNews.com this week and throughout the weekend. And um, I'm really excited to have gravel back in our lives in a big way. So, Betsy and Ben, you have been f- fabulous co-hosts of the Velo News podcast. We are going to now hear from Christy Moan about what riders can expect at this year's Unbound Gravel. Okay, now on the line, she is the chief gravel officer for uh, Lifetime Fitness, marketing manager, all things uh, Unbound Gravel. It's Christy Moan uh, rejoining the podcast. Uh, Christy, you were on the podcast, I believe, in November talking about the race name change. And here we are. It's race week for Unbound Gravel. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh my gosh, let's do this. I'm so stoked. <laughs> so we're recording this on Tuesday and of course Saturday is the big day. Uh, first of all, take us through what does a typical race week look like for you? It's all, I mean, if you've done your work, it's all the, it's all tying up the little loose ends and, you know, a little bit of chicken with your head cut off, but, but it all feels good because you know, it's all coming together and <clears throat> we're super, I mean, uh, this is my hometown, so I can hardly wait to have people back. It's been a while. 
It has. I mean, that's the story of this year. Uh, this is the return of Unbound Gravel after 2020 was taken off due to COVID. You know, the last time we connected on the podcast, we were talking all about the name change. But my first question for you, Christy, is all about, you know, COVID protocol and safety protocol. You know, give us a sense for what the race will look and feel like on Saturday and sure. how different that will be from a normal edition of the event. Well, I mean, I think, you know, a couple of big things, obviously we've had a lot going in our favor with COVID um, and the CDC guidelines that have loosened up a bit, um, you know, have, have uh, kept things moving in the right direction. Um, we are uh, most everything we do is outside. So that's the big plus. Um, and I think the other thing to really note is that although, you know, we're asking riders to start at the start line with their buffs up, we are not having to do the big spacing and the wave starts that we thought we were going to do. So it's going to look fairly normal. The biggest difference will be we just don't, our numbers are just down this year because we didn't, we didn't open up that to the big field size based on CDC recommendations and, and working with our health department. But, um, and we moved the 2550 juniors to Friday. So those people will also be doing their event on Friday. So I think that's going to be kind of the biggest difference is that it's going to be a little bit back to maybe a 2000, 15 size. So. so if we've been talking about, you know, total field sizes in the sort of 22 to 2,500 field size, what are we looking at uh, this year? Uh, for the 200 milers, we should have about a thousand for the uh, 100 milers around 800. And then the rest of those events are all the XL juniors. The rest of those all make up the Friday events. So, And I know in talking to other race promoters, one of the things that has been coming out of this year is even events that are sold out, you know, they're seeing a pretty high level of attrition in terms of who's a, who's actually showing up on race day. I know that you guys had a, a very friendly refund policy with riders, you know, 90 days out. If you just felt like you weren't comfortable to be there, you could get a 70% refund. Um, you know, with that 1,000, 1,500 rider field, I mean, how many are you actually expecting to show up on race day? We would expect about you know, that we have like 1250, I think is what signed up. So I think that thousand number I gave us kind of where we're anticipating it to be race day. So great. You know, I'm really curious also from a, from a media attention and just an overall attention standpoint, what's the big difference this year? I mean, you know, we saw this race growing steadily and as a media platform over the last uh, four or five years, and then you have a, a year off, but what are, what can we expect from a, a, a media attention perspective? Well, I mean, you know, we've got Flow Sports doing the whole live filming of it. So I'm, I think <laughs> a lot. I mean, it's been there's been a lot of requests. There's been a lot of attention to it. I mean, it's the first it's the first big event back on the calendar. And there's a lot of names coming. Um, we've got lots of great, you know, locals back participating. Um, and I think all that kind of drives the media. So I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating a lot of um stories about Unbound coming out here over the next 10 days. So, What are the storylines that you personally are following in? Uh, we'll start with the the, uh, with the women's race, you know, um, everything from the elite women to like what, what, who are the riders and the battles you're expecting to see? You, you, you know, Fred, you're getting into an area that's your level of expertise, not mine. <laughs> I, I'm so grateful that we have a lot of the pros that come here. Um, but really, that's not where my focus ends up being. Um, I let you guys tell that story and, and try to focus more on, on the, the journey person athlete stories that we've got out there. So, you know, I'm excited to see people like, um, Paulina Batiste, who's been training her rear off here locally, um, do what she's going to do race day. Um, she wants to beat her time from 2019 and I'm excited about Ann Gentle coming back. Who's been, 
finished her first 100 miler and she's coming back to take on the 200. I'm excited to see what Sarah Moxley does, like names that people don't know. Um, so yes, I'm excited to see how that, the, the, the women's pro field, I'm very excited to see how that shakes out. Of course, the men's pro field is stacked as well. Um, but I literally read the Velo News article to see who's coming that's fast. So. <laughs> well, I, that, that's, that's perfect then. How about on the local men's side? You know, who are some of the local heroes that we should keep an eye out for and, and that I should grab at the finish line to interview to get some of their <laughs> yeah. good stories? Because like you, hey, I love what's going on in the front of the race and the elite race. But to me, really the special sauce of Unbound Gravel is talking to the people who are finishing hours later and about their struggle and their journey and the emotional reaction they have of completing this. This event and and I'm curious what are some of the stories that you, that you know of going into this year. Well, you know it's it's been it's been that kind of a year, right? Like we want to hear those stories for sure. So I think on on our men's team, Mike Reynolds has done this event year after year. Um, I think he's back on the tandem this year. I don't. That's that's sad. I don't actually know that. I need to look that up. Um, and then we've got a lot of them participating in the XL, which is kind of cool to see how we've continued to grow grow our, our sport, um, to, from locals, literally not even signing up with the 200 mile line to now participating in that XL event. That's just, it really kind of speaks to the power of, of what the gravel community can do and, and inspire people too. So looking forward to see that. Now, what can you say about the impact that this is going to have locally? You know, we linked up, um, at the beginning of the year to talk about the COVID protocols and to talk about, you know, some of the rules and regulations being tasked, passed down by the state and County. And, and something that came out of that conversation was, you know, a lot of these businesses were, were pretty bummed out that last year took a year off because this race is really important to the local businesses. And I, I'm curious, um, what, what can you say about, you know, how local commerce and business has, um, been looking forward to this event or working with you about, you know, trying to make sure this event goes off this year? Well, we've, we've had a longstanding partnership with, um, Emporia Main Street, who, who actually hosts our finish line party, um, for us. And that's pretty great. Um, but, you know, we have the proof that 2019 was a $5.5 million weekend. And that just was for that weekend alone. It doesn't include what's happening around, you know, either side of the event and people coming here for training and whatnot. Um, so I know these businesses are pretty excited to see athletes back, um, and, and get that little bump that they need in their business to get them through the summer. Because, you know, we are, we do have a college here. And when those kids go home, a lot of these small town businesses feel that impact during the summer and unbound gravel gives them a little shot in the arm to get them through, through the summer to get them back to when the students are back. So, um, we know how important it is to the event the event is to the to the commerce for the weekend, mm -hmm. for sure. Now, look, I know that, uh, you know, we've made a lot of strides um, with COVID. I mean, I am vaccinated. I know everyone I know is vaccinated and, and it, it does feel like we're coming out of the woods here. But I've definitely also heard um, communication for people in, in the bike space who feel like, hey, bringing big events back isn't it's too early it's not a good idea having people come to these destination events where they're bringing all these outside uh people from around the country into one small community is not necessarily a great idea i mean what is your thinking on that at this point what what is your perspective towards people who might say hey it's a little too early to have an event of this size yeah i understand that and it's a it's definitely a fine line that we're walking um we are asking athletes to be respectful um, i think it's a great idea to keep a buff around your neck and if you're talking to somebody that has one up put yours up um you know pay attention and be be respectful of those people around you some of our businesses here do still have their masks up sign and we're asking athletes to be respectful of that i do think that 
Our county here has done a great job making the vaccine available to anyone that wants it. Um, I'm fully vaccinated. Our staff is all fully vaccinated. Um, everybody in Lyon County has been able to get um, the vaccine if they've wanted it. So I guess there's a part of me that's like there's a bit of personal responsibility. And and I think that goes from not only the vaccinations, but also to how you're interacting with other people and and being respectful of the space that they're in and where they are. Um, and I do think we also did a, a really good job with our uh, refund policy and letting people know, you know, if you're uncomfortable, then you shouldn't be coming. Um, you know, that's that's the reality of it is, um, you know, we do need to kind of move forward and, and we're looking forward to trying trying to do that in a safe way. Well, we're going to be out there. Uh, the Full Villain News team, myself, Ben Delaney, will be racing it. We're bringing some uh, video team and photographers out there to talk to the athletes and tell stories all across the Peloton. And uh, I'm really excited to be out there. The last time I was out there was 2018. And, you know, I mean, that's a story that I have been following with Gravel, but specifically with this event, which is that every year it, as a media platform, it seemed to be taking these big strides up and up and up. And one of the big questions I am looking to answer is – you know, you have an event that is on this rocket ship trajectory to the moon as a media platform. Then you have a year where you take a year off, you change the name, one of the co-founders leaves the event, there is controversy about the, the, you know, the name change and everything like that. And when you get the event back going, is that rocket ship trajectory still going or is, you know, all of that change and turmoil and year off, does it have a big event that sort of dulls the upward trajectory? And I'm really curious what your perspective is on that and what you can point to about this race that, that you know, makes you say, hey, I, I, I feel one way or the other about that. Well, I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's definitely been a concern of mine personally. I mean, people that don't know my story in particular, this is my hometown. Um, I got involved with this event um, to create something better for this community. And I think through all of that controversy that we went through this past year, um, my focus had to be to put my head down and, and do the work that needed to be done and believe in this gravel community um, and believe in my hometown that, that this event was going to come through this for the better. And I feel like we've done the work. Um, I'm excited about the future of Unbound Gravel. I'm very much so. And I'm, I'm excited to see um, where this goes now. I mean, I think um, we've done we've done the hard work. Um, we want we want this event this weekend to just be everything we know it can be because we think it's just that special. And, um, you know, I think we're dusting off the cobwebs and are going to put on a great show. So what are the metrics that you and your team will look at to decide whether or not this year was a step forward, a step back or a neutral year? Um, that's a good question. I'm sure that higher up powers that be have, have thought of that. Um, <laughs> but not me. <laughs> I just want to, I want to see people in my hometown. I want to see athletes here smiling. I want to ha have them hand me their bike and say, take that thing away and then turn around and be, when do I sign up again for next year? So, um, you know, that's what I'm looking for. I love it. Well, again, uh, the full Vel News team is coming out there. We're going to be covering this event and we're excited to be back. What, what distance is Delaney doing? Delaney's doing the full 200 mile. Nice. I know. Well, I think we may have to coerce him to do the 350 at some point but he's doing the 200 For sure. the 200 mile and I, having stalked him on Strava I can tell you he has not done a ton of 
longer days over than 100 miles. But <laughs> he has this he has this strength that like goes back from years and years and years of all these built up residual miles. So I'm not worried about Ben Delaney at all. And I think he no. is going to have a great time out there. Uh, Christy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We will catch up with you later in the week out at Unbound Gravel. Uh, it's Christy Moan of Lifetime and uh, one of the heads of Unbound Gravel. Um, good luck this week. Thanks. We'll see you soon. 